This is Coda Radio, episode 456, for March 7th, 2022. Hello, good looking, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show. Taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining me like the East Coast maven he is, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. I join you a wrecked man. You know, I dabbled in the markets. Uh-oh. And boy, have I been wrecked recently. Last night, my son's Roblox account was hacked, and they took everything. They took everything from the kid. He just recently got into that game. Because I have three kids. My daughter, my youngest, likes it. And he was always like, oh, no, Roblox, that's silly. And then something changed about a month ago, and he got so into it that he just accumulated all this stuff. He even managed to, like, convince me to get him a subscription. And he, like, became this trade king, like one of the top 100 players on the system that he was in. So he's just doing great. And then I'm sitting down to record last night, and I get a text message. Dad, my account just got hacked. And I'm, I'm saying there's probably $60 worth of purchases in there now that are just gone. He's devastated. He built it all up. You know, he was like the big rapper with a, with a posse handing out like items and pets to people, you know? There's no recovery mechanism? Or? This is where it's like, as a dad, do I step in and like interface with the support? So what I did is I got him all the info and, get, you know, and had him and his mom, they filled out like the support form and all of that. But then they're like, nope, sorry, nothing we're going to be able to do for you. And it just seems like what happened is I think he logged into some website that claimed to like connect to your account and they stole his credentials and then they just pragmatically emptied his account. Basically the metaverse is rough, man. The rough streets of the metaverse. It's the hood. She like my youngest, she springs into action because they like have some sort of like shared bank. So like she logs in on her iPad, brings up the bank and starts doing like an emergency transfer. It's like a rug pull in a crypto community. Like, you just see everybody scrambling. It's It was wild. So shall we expect Fisher coin? Not by you, but by your children soon? I mean, this seems like your daughter. Well, I mean, they got to ma- they got to make it up, right? They got to make it back somehow. Jeez. Well, I, as I say, your daughter seems like she knows what's up. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, she's got an NFT if you want to buy it. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy stuff. You know, like, I felt bad for him because in a way it feels like getting your account owned is probably a rite of passage for his generation. Yeah, I feel like it's going to happen a lot. And it seems like if the stakes are your Roblox account, that's probably better than like your Google account or your bank account when you're older, right? So maybe this will instill some password hygiene in him at an early age and some caution. I I think mostly it was a phishing attack, though. Well, yeah, the problem is a phishing attack, you you know, you can, even 2FA won't really protect you, right? Yeah, especially if you're motivated, you know, if like it, you know, if they manage to give you a convincing sell and a reason to authorize your account and well, why don't we uh, follow up on last week's episode where we talked about the possibility of Proton becoming becoming a platform that brings apps beyond just gaming for Linux one day. Essentially, with the downside of making Win32 the sort of de facto ABI for developers. Marcel wrote in I have some thoughts about Win32 as a universal target. I actually really think Proton needs more attention in the productivity software space. I would love to see Fusion 360 in Linux. It's one of those applications that just doesn't run well in a virtual machine. 
And it really isn't going to be rewritten anytime soon. And I wouldn't say it's really legacy either. It's still actively developed and it has many users. Yeah, a lot of these like uh, large diagramming or CAD programs that are Windows only, when we start talking about this, we inevitably hear from folks that say like, like, like Marcel, I tried Fusion and Wine. It just wasn't perfect. It kind of worked, but you know nobody's going to deploy that at scale. If it got the attention the games did, then these productivity tools that are used in the enterprise desktop space could be brought over to Linux. And that was kind of where I think I was going. And I probably should have used CAD as the perfect example is like that business space that maybe wants to just standardize on a Linux desktop for some advantage. I don't know why. And uh, maybe there isn't one. Maybe there is. And, you know, this is the last piece they needed. But uh, before you jump in, there's something else that was interesting that Sean sent in. He says that a Proton runtime of sorts was actually foreseen by a great wizard. He says, I've been listening since episode one. It's the best show on JB. Uh, the email could really just end there. He's true. He's, he's true. Yeah, you're right. Best email ever. Done. Although he does pay his respects to Egon. Egon got some love this week. You know, Egon's like a part of the show. <laughs> no, Everybody who writes in regularly becomes a character like Josh with the cold hands. You know, he wrote back in and said that his hands are doing a lot better. He got the warming pad. Fantastic, I guess. It's great. I'm glad. I'm glad his hands are warm. No, I'm glad you're feeling better, Josh. All right, so uh, back to telling me I'm wonderful. Come on. Sean points out that Carmack, John Carmack, said nine years ago that essentially, well, here, I grabbed it. I went and got the best part. On Reddit, in like a Reddit comment thread, Carmack says, we blow right past Linux these days. We don't even really consider it. He says, I truly feel, this is a quote from Carmack, that emulation of some sort is the proper technical direction for gaming on Linux. This is nine years ago. He says, it's obviously pragmatic in the range of possible support, but it shouldn't have the technical stigma that it does. There really isn't much of anything special that a native port does. We still make OpenGL calls. WinSock is just BSD sockets. Windows threads become P threads. And the translation of input and audio interfaces don't make much difference. A good shim layer should have less impact on performance and variability than driver quality does. Ideally, following a set of best practice guidelines could allow developers to get Linux versions with a little more effort than support, say, Windows XP. Properly evangelized, again, this is nine years ago, Carmack writes, properly evangelized with Steam as the monetized distribution platform, this is a plausible path forward. And he actually goes into more detail. I just, you know, it's long and I'll link to it if people want to read it. He goes into like some historical context about why they don't port to Linux and things like that. But, uh, you know, I sit here now, having used desktop Linux in some form since the late 90s, and I wonder if maybe this just isn't the better direction to go, because it seems like it's either this or Electron. And I know as wild as this sounds, I think I'd rather run Windows applications under Proton than have... 1530 electron apps on my PC. So it would be easy to do like the cheap dunk here, but I'm not going to do it because this isn't that crazy. Just before YouTube commenters. Yeah, right. It, what's the difference between Win32 and emulating some other platform or running an entire giant ass, you know, Chrome, Chromium instance for every application? Right. That's my thinking. Am I, am I mistaken on this? I thought Electron was moving towards having like a shared Chromium resource. There is actually a way to do that today. Okay. I think, though, the Electron app can still opt to always build their own and run that. But it's like, for example, on some Linux systems, you could actually run a system level Electron and all the apps run on top of that. But it can be so hit and miss 
because take Slack, for example, they don't account for you running a newer runtime. And so there are bugs. It's in, it's it's crashy. I feel like I should be more spicy, but I kind of don't think this is the worst, the worst idea ever. Let me try to put this in a non douchey way, which, of course, means it's going to get rough. First of all, I, you know, I just had this meeting yet again at TMB. All right. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about the Windows 11 change? Oh, for the login stuff where you need a Microsoft account? For the, Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's creating a surprising level of angst with a couple of my customers. And honestly, like, to hell with those guys, right? There was nothing wrong with the old Win32 APIs. Hell, there's nothing wrong with Qt except Qt's strong desire to change their license terms every year. Sorry, couldn't help myself. Oh, and don't forget their strong desire to communicate in the most obtuse way that can always be interpreted in multiple different ways. You know, it's funny. We So the last, we coupled Qt again. Uh, we covered it, what, like four months ago? Something like that? I don't know, man, because I'm still singed. So I, it's hard for me to tell. It all blurs. One of their dev evangelists actually reached out to me and said that I was simply confused and that there was a misunderstanding between myself and the uh, the sales rep, which is honestly completely possible, right? Right. I, I recall, yeah. I mean, you've been dealing with me for what, like 10 years? You know how I am. I, I what I said, when I want something, I'm like, this is what I want, right? And I, I'm not really good at the whole, you know, wheel and deal kind of bullshit game i'm so a lot of the cut my customers listen to the show i my pitches i'm always a saturn dealer <laughs> you're so old <laughs> do you kick the doors too and show that they don't dent you know <laughs> hell no popcorn no hot dogs i'm just a saturn dealer right do i really have to explain what that means i, I feel like i do since you're like you're so old well i mean they haven't like they, they literally haven't been around for like a decade or something <laughs> all right so saturn was a sub-brand of gm much like corvette chevy whatever started by like the best of the best in GM, right? So it was like they're elite people. At least that's the story I heard. Well, their whole deal was no scummy sales tactics. You you go to the lot, you want to buy a car, the car has a price. If you're a GM employee, you get a different price because that's a weird union deal. Or if you're like the relative, like I'm relative to GM employees, that's why I buy Chevys. Because uh, you get a better price. Can I, oh, just to interrupt. So that GM, that that employee deal thing, it's so funny. Because, as you would expect, if you've ever been to a GM building, a large GM office, the entire parking lot looks like a, a GM car dealership because it's all clean, new GMs. And then, like, the one black sheep of the group shows up in, like, a Ford. And it's like, oh, well, my car is my car is uh, still uh, it still hasn't arrived yet. This is, this is my old car. He has to, like, defend himself. It was funny. Well, because the, the employee pricing is, like, really good. So, anyway, the Saturn dealer's whole shtick was you come here. You see a car on the lot, you like it. Let's say the cars, I don't know, Saturns weren't that expensive either, right? Like $22,000 maybe? Right, right. When you when, when the sticker says twenty two grand, the salesman, there's no bull going back to the manager and like having to say, oh, like, okay, the douchey thing I always do is I don't say that I get the union discount. Because once you do that, they always, all of a sudden, they're showing you like the LS, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the night that I start cars. I'm always like, oh, geez, that's a little steep. Don't you want the one with two power seats? Right. Well, what I say is, well, what, what can you do? Let me let me just see. I have this union number. Can I? What's that price? And the salesman always wants to slap me. There goes his commission. Right. Because that's they really do f- them over. But 
the deal with Saturn was the price on the car is the price on the car with the one exception of the union deal. But then they even published the employee price. So if you were, you, you knew what it was. That's my whole shtick. And it's not that old. They, they haven't been dead for 10 years, have they? I don't know. <laughs> Feels like it. Maybe it's been longer. Here's my thinking on it. Again, I'm just looking at this as a selfish Linux user who wants to reclaim his desktop back from Electron. Here's the beauty, I believe, of Linux users just accepting that Win32 would make a great target base for developers. Proton could make a great shim to get a good experience at native speeds. But here's the best part. It cuts the Mac users out. Right? Because when something gets ported to Electron, it's just as easy to run it on a Mac. And often, the experience is even slightly better. So if you just kept everything Win32's ABI, um, that's going to be really hard on the M1 Max. That's going to be hard on Apple's future direction. It makes it hard to move it over to their platform. It keeps the business apps on Windows and Linux. And I think they could live in peace together. You know, when you consider WSL, when you consider they all could kind of work together in that sense and screw Apple. And I think that'd be great. What a, what a nice twist of events. And the uh, slow capitulation to Electron that we're seeing in the industry is about enabling people to leave the Win32 world, which before this episode I would have thought is great. But now that I'm thinking about it and I want to be like, you know, if Linux had a CEO, if I was Linux's CEO today. Oh, like what the Linux Foundation wants to be. Oh, sorry. Too mean. Well, yeah. But if I was a CEO of Linux that was looking at how to like secure the next 30 years of the desktop, whatever remains of it. First of all, I'm gonna, that's a bad job. But second of all, I'd be like what we always talk about on this show. How do you build a moat? You build a moat. By making sure you don't keep bleeding to the Mac, in my opinion, and you you deal with that. I'm sorry, if you're the CEO of Linux, you ignore the desktop, and you do your actual goddamn job, which is IoT. All these new... By the way, the metaverse is a huge opportunity for Linux, now that I actually believe in it. Right? Servers. Oh, for sure. These devices. Nobody wants to license Windows. The, the way we ended up on this weird topic is that Windows 11's new account thing is screwing over the types of enterprise deployments that I do at the Mad Botter for my customers. So I am considering some, we should DM about this, some drastic actions here, like crazy, like Colorado style actions, because I need a platform that I'm not going to get hammered because of somebody's, you know, weird strategy tax. Boy, oh boy. I know that, that strategy tax, that's your, that's your thing, right? You know, today it came out. That's, I've been feeling the same way only in the podcast space. Today it came out that YouTube is offering like $50,000 to certain podcasters to take their audio-only podcast and make it a video podcast. And then, you know, start using their ads and stuff like that. And, you know, you watch what Spotify is doing. You watch what Apple is doing. You, you see what Libsyn's trying to do with suppressing ad prices and YouTube is trying to do by taking over podcasting. And I start thinking to myself, how the hell am I going to be able to stay independent for the next five years? It's getting really, really centralized out there. For some, like the rumor is as much as $300,000 the offer is, which I still find ridiculous. $50,000 couldn't even convert a single one of our podcasts to video. Think about it. That doesn't even pay for a year of a video editor, not to mention camera equipment, lighting, sets, 
editing equipment. I mean, give me a break. $50,000 is spent in one weekend buying the gear. No, that makes, that makes no sense. Yeah. But they're trying to incentivize a centralization of podcasters because once you go into the YouTube platform, you create content for the algorithm. And you you have to create content that's also appealing to the ad bot because it's it's all an auction system behind the scenes. And the auction system has preferences. It looks for brand-safe content. And brand-safe content is not only the type of things that you cover, but it's the genre of you co- that you cover as well. I look at independent podcast operations, and I just think, I don't even know if most of them are going to make it the next couple of years. I think it's really, it's really bleak out there. I mean, how many people do you know that do this full-time not many, when you, if they're not part of a large company. I mean, I'll see your podcasters and raise you independent app developers. Right. I, that's what I'm thinking is where the parallels are at. Well, we're not even through the feedback. And I think it's, uh, uh, if you're a drinking man, it's time for your Coder Radio depression cocktail. If you had a bummer episode on your bingo card. <laughs> no, I don't know. It, it, it'll be fine. Listen, when Spotify owns the market... And they still have to pay Apple 30%. It'll be great. Don't worry. I actually think both you and I have been fairly good at at keeping up with the way that the internet wind is blowing. But when you have been in this for a while, it, it keep and it keeps happening, there's just an inevitable exhaustion that comes along with it. And you think to yourself, like I, at least I do, I think, God, I really just want something that I could essentially put on autopilot and do for the next 40 years. That's what I want. I want a job I could just... And, it, and one that doesn't kill me health-wise. Like, I've realized I've really got to start making some improvements in that regard. Oh, from the holidays until just about last week, I, I think I was having, like, some real high blood pressure days, some really bad migraines and tension, hypertension issues. And just, I mean, I was really pushing the health stuff too far, you know. And so I had to dial it back a little bit. I have to keep rethinking that all the time. And these inevitable changes in the business, they don't make things easier. They make it more stressful. And they make it harder and harder to just like, you know, have a, a a lifestyle business feels like the wrong, the wrong connotation because I do work hard, but I'd like, I'd like not to have to work hard every day all the time. I feel like uh, maybe I'm not exactly on the same wavelength, but you know, I just went through a pretty dramatic shift, both personally and, and uh, with the business with TMB, and now. Just things, I feel like the rate of, I can't say change, right? Because it's not like there's like a new iPhone style event. Although, again, if you're young, check out, seriously, the metaverse. Although, eh, I hate that term. I would say VR. Although I'm more interested in AR, practically. But just the rapid consolidation in basically everything makes the problems almost like the technical stuff like, oh, should I do this in Mac or Windows or or Pop or you know some other Linux? It's, oh, if I try to do this and enter this vertical, who is going to put their boot on my throat? Yeah, who who's the gatekeeper, the platform? Yeah, who's the heavy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've done a good job of taking the internet and really centralizing it super well. Well, I, I watched, uh, I, and I... I, I Forgive me, I don't recall, but there was a PBS documentary. It was the one, it was made by the people who made Triumph of the Nerds with uh, Bob Cringely. Remember that one? Yeah, I remember that. He did another one about the internet, or not him, but the same producers. And just the utopianism, right? The 
everybody, you can have a business, you know, the mom will be working, you know, when the kids are at school and she'll run a little shop and it's like Etsy, everybody's Etsy effectively. But damn, the centralization, it's just like, it's so funny. No one predicted Facebook back then. Not that I hate Facebook. I, I hate Facebook. I don't know. Like Apple is once again in court, right? That lady who's suing Apple just got slapped by the court. She had to pull down all the documents she shared. <laughs> well, all right. So let's talk about building something because positivity. You got to try. Like you can't stop trying. And a lot of times, I think what we discover is in times where it just seems like there's total chaos. Some of us eventually figure out the signal from the noise and you start building. And when things turn around, you're hopefully you're hopefully in the right position to ride that wave. And so Steve asks, really, how do I build something today that I'm involved with today, but I know I will not be involved with shortly down the road? I'm the VP of my kid's high school band parent association, and we've decided we're going to create a website he says, of course, I headed over to Linode and made an account, got that $100 credit at linode.com slash coder. I made a WordPress server. I had it running within five minutes. <laughs> That's great. Got the DNS SSL going 10 minutes after that. But after a week of doing different mock-ups for the other board members, I started to think to myself in three years when my kid graduates, I'm not going to need to run this anymore. I'm probably going to hand it off to somebody who uses password one, two, three. So it started getting me thinking. How should I set this up in a way where I could hand it off to somebody who might not be an expert? Should I go with some sort of fully built hosting service? Document everything. What do you guys think? Also, by the way, Egon is amazing. He is instantly my hero. <laughs> there you go, Egon. You got you got a fan club now. I, I, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> He's got more fans than we do. <laughs> uh, Egon, bastard. <laughs> kind of riffing on Chris's complete nihilism here. It's not your problem. If you're handing a system over to somebody who's going to also have complete control of the system, there are many more ways for them to screw that up than having password one, two, three. Granted, that's a pretty... You can't, right? You you can't see the future. You can't protect against everything. Hell, I'm right now using Adium for IRC. Do you know why? Because all the other ones are crappy electron... The new ones are crappy electron apps. It's true. You cannot account for Luddite. I see what you did there. <laughs> I like it. No, but I don't know. Chris. All right. What would you tell him to do? I mean, I think he is thinking about the right things. What I suspect he needs to do is just be really clear up front. Here is your options. And these are the risk trade-offs. And one of the risks of the, uh, you know, go set up WordPress on Linode would be in three years when I move on, you're going to need to find somebody else who knows how to operate this system. You know, with that kind of a heads up, that does not seem like an impossible goal to me at all. You do have things on the other end of the spectrum, like your Squarespace is out there where they essentially will maintain all the backend tech. That's my value proposition where I see a thing like Squarespace or Tumblr is if you want a web page that somebody can just set up and then forget about for five years, you know, it'll do that for you. You won't have to touch it. But I think you and I probably both know there's disadvantages to that as well. Uh, so I would just say communicate first, build something, and then really all you need is like a document, a Google Doc that they have the URL to or something that just documents these things, store the username and password somewhere on their site so they have it, that they can tell them to refer to that envelope. And you've done your due diligence and you've also, I think, gone above and beyond at that point. That's how you build it to hand off. And document it early. Don't wait. Do it while it's fresh. I like it. Very reasonable. Thank you, Will. Uh, also, in the good news side of things... 
We have an East Coast meetup. That's right. We are finally doing a East Coast Jupiter Broadcasting meetup on April 9th, 2022 in Raleigh, North Carolina. We have details at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. About 30-ish people are going so far. Starts at 3 p.m. Eastern at a park. And across the street, there's Prime Barbecue. And on the other side of the park, there's a brewery as well. So we figured we'd hang out at the park. Barbecue. Now, what do you think? I know this is in your neck of the woods, but it's like, it's, it's going to be tricky, you know? Well, I'm, I'm going to say it now. If I can get childcare, which is extremely likely, I'll be there. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. We could have ourselves quite the uh, JB reunion because sounds like there's a good chance you're going to make it. I think there's a good chance Wes Payne's going to make it. There's a good chance that, I, well, I know I'm going to make it. Uh, I know that Alex from Self-Hosted is going to make it. Brent from Linux Unplugged and Brunch is going to be there. My wife, Adia, will be there. Uh, so that's just, the, that's just you know, so far. So we're getting quite the party. Can I bring swag? Oh, yeah, of course. Now, can I run a little contest? Chris does not know I was going to say this beforehand. <laughs> I'm going to have one question. What is the best version of BSD? And there's only one correct answer. Do I have a guess, or do you want people to tell you at the meetup? Guess. You can guess. Well, then it has to be the one and true free BSD, because that's the one, Alan. Incorrect. Snow Leopard. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. How did, I, how did I not know that? Of course. First of all, barbecue and brews. You, you know, Chris, this was like a mic trap. <laughs> He's never been able to get me to go anywhere. He's like... I will locate it between the bar and the barbecue place. No matter which vice he wants to hit, he has to cross us. He has to. Like, there's no way around. It is the perfect draft. Although, you know, we're probably going to wreck the show because it feels like if we haven't met this far into the show, if we meet now, it's going to make things weird. Well, I used to watch you in your in your youth days on the video. Uh, the old Back when I was handsome. Listen, I've heard stuff. Apparently, you're quite the silver fox these days. So let's not <laughs> let's not get wild with ourselves. But tell me, tell me now. This is North Carolina, and you know this. I love me some nice Carolina barbecue. Have we looked into this place? So I, it's funny. I think it might be Texas style, but I'm not sure. Son of a bitch. But the the ratings are good. The ratings and reviews are really good. I I will prepare my lower intestines. Yeah. See, I love barbecue, but you got to plan for it. You know, what I do is uh, I kind of like go easy. You have a barbecue safety plan? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just a regime. You really? It's a regime. Like if I'm going to go somewhere special and I want to eat, I'll just kind of I'll go light for a couple of days. I'll super hydrate. You got to super hydrate. And then I'll go into the barbecue place strategically. I go I go light on the really processed meats, you know, your sausages, your links, that kind of stuff. And I'll go more so on their specialties because it's a more of a rare thing. And they're generally, I find, easier on my system. And then uh, I also kind of try to not do much on, like, the mac and cheese. But I got to have a little bit of mac and cheese and beans. And, of course, if they got the corn and they got the cornbread and they got the butter and the honey, I got to get that with some root beer. I got to try that, too. And if they got the slaw, I'm going to get the slaw. They got a couple of sauces. I got to try a couple of sauces. Oh, man, I'm getting excited. Oh, the sauces is what kills me because I'm like, oh, I got to try this. I mean, I just run around like a maniac. I am getting excited about this. And, you know, Alex has got a spot where we could go back. We could do some recording if time allowed. You know, if, I mean, if we got you, me, and Wes in a room, we could probably do some podcasts. Maybe that's when, maybe that's when we do our Coderly. Maybe we do like a Coderly special while we're there, something like that. Anyways, if you want to join us April 9th, 3 p.m. in Raleigh, North Carolina, 
Join the meetup page so we can tell the restaurant about how many we expect. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. And of course, you should come because Cold Hands Josh will be there. You can shake his cold hands, keep him keep him warm. It's exciting. Do we know how roughly large his hands are? I could bring him mittens. You know, I think he's good now. He's good. I think he's, he's got a whole up. suite. Right. Right. Well, he's got a suite of suggestions from the audience that took care of him. He's got a whole suite. So, but yeah, come shake his cold hands. Maybe Egon will be there. People that, you know, are famous. Leno.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account and go there to support the show. It lets them know you appreciate them sponsoring the Coder Radio program. It's the cycle of podcast life after all. And Linode is such a great product to be right here on the Coder Radio program because this is the developer's cloud. This is where I genuinely think you should build your next project. You can run the infrastructure for your business or your personal project with Linode. They have 40 gigabit connections coming into those hypervisors. They've got 11 data centers around the world. They just recently rolled out MVME PCI storage for some of their rigs. So you can just get incredible IOPS per gigabyte. It's one of those constantly improving services. And that's why it's easy to recommend it for you. And just recently, a brand new thing has arrived. You can now join the Linode Managed Database Beta. They're rolling out Managed Database Support, the perfect combination of industry standard software like MySQL, backed by Linode's team on their infrastructure. You can sign up right now for early access. You can help influence the product's direction and give them some feedback this is going to be a big service. This is big business. And it makes running a database simple and straightforward. You don't have to be some sort of DBA to now have the power and scalability of a database backed by Linode. They're working on that kind of stuff all the time. They've been doing this for 19 years, constantly improving, making things better and better. And with 11 data centers around the world, you know you're going to find something close to you or close to your customers. Over the years, I think I've appreciated now their object storage, and their UI, and the way their dashboard works, and the way their API works more than just about anything else. But what I hear from the audience all the time is how great the support is. Someone ends up in a jam, and Linode's 24-7 customer support by phone or by ticket, along with hundreds of guides and tutorials, helps them get things figured out. It really matters when it comes down to it. And with pricing 30 to 50% cheaper than other major cloud providers, well, you can make an economic argument, too. So I got the performance reasons, I got the support reasons, got the pricing reasons, and it's an opportunity to support the show, learn, and try something. That's pretty good combo. Now you see why I love having them as a sponsor and think you should check it out. So you go to linode.com slash coder. Get that $100 for 60 days on a new account and support the show. Linode.com slash coder. Holy crap, NVIDIA and Samsung have had a bad week. I guess the same hacker group, uh, Lapisus or something to that effect, has targeted Samsung and NVIDIA. They're leaking da data for both of them. They're, they're trying to get NVIDIA to open source their driver, threatening to release core information about their cards if they don't. They've put out data for Samsung's bootloader on newer Samsung Galaxy phones, including uh, stuff for some of their encryption and access control information and activation servers and data on and maybe source code on how they authorize and authenticate Samsung accounts, APIs, and other user-facing services. I mean, huge leak. This happened on Friday over the weekend, so I didn't get to go through it very much. In the NVIDIA leak, it's, it's so far 19 gigs of data has been released by this group. They kind of became famous in late 2021 for targeting Brazil's Ministry of Health. Yes. And it's 190 gigs of data they've released for Samsung. 
which is 10 times bigger than the NVIDIA one. <laughs> it's a massive two leaks in the same amount of weeks. You know, I took this and I know, you know, whatever big companies, but I feel a lot of sympathy for the IT folks working at these companies that have to deal with this shit now. Oh, man. Yeah, the IT folks. Oh, yeah. When you think about that. Oh, boy, that sucks. Look, this is a nightmare. I, I don't even know. I Yeah, I don't like this kind of thing. I think it's bad. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't think this should be going on. I think if you want somebody to open source something. Okay. We talk a lot about people using Linux, open source. I've talked about my perspective on maybe open core needs to not be a dirty word, right? Over and over again. And that, you know, maybe people doing Linux development in the open on the server side should be considered part of the community, even though it's not like the desktop. And there are disagreements there that I think make sense, right? I'm pretty sure other hosts on the network strongly disagree with that. I would say that I'm pretty sure I could speak for all of us when I say that hacking someone to make them open source something is just not going to work, right? Not a good look, huh? It's also going to upset them and probably make them be even more protective and more closer. In a statement, they say, quote, we request that NVIDIA commits to completely open source their graphics processing unit drivers. Which is never going to happen. Not now. Are you kidding me? I don't know, Chris, if somebody like punched you in the face and was like, no more M1 Mac for you, I'm pretty sure you'd go buy the M1 Mac Mini that's almost certainly going to be announced tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah, I did see that. The group said that if NVIDIA does not comply, they will release the complete silicon, graphics, and computer chipset files for all recent NVIDIA graphics processing units, direct quote. Well, then I hope you were in Russia, because if you're American, you're going to Leavenworth. I don't even know what to say, right? Like, I, yeah, what's with you with Leavenworth? It's a great town. <laughs> I'm real worried about going to Leavenworth. One <laughs> <laughs> of these days, man. One of these days. Coder from Leavenworth. And, you know, old-time listeners know that Dick Cheney used the guest to star on the show, and he's not particularly happy with me right now. So, This, to me, feels almost like they must know this. this there's another motivation here. It's like a, It's almost like a publicity stunt. Like when I say publicity stunt, I mean they are clearly very skilled and they're getting a lot of notoriety for this. I don't know how they monetize that, but that could be a goal here just to kind of get attention for that. And this is a cause that they can kind of attach to. Or, you know, this is something they really think that we're a method they can affect change. And I think both you and I are of the opinion that that's ludicrous. Like these U.S. companies are just going to get more defensive as a result. I just can't even imagine this ever happening as much as I would love to see it. I mean, part of me is like, well, just do it. Just do it. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's also the, it's the methodology that bothers me, too, because, you know, there you and I both know this very well. I won't mention that show that we don't like to talk about, but I love Unfilter. Sorry. <laughs> there is an entire like wing of industry and of Congress that is all about FUD around technology, right? It's always, oh, you can't buy this printer because the Chinese are going to hack your kids photos or stupid lease agreement that you're printing don't don't buy this from this company yeah yeah sure that happens all the time this is a legitimate problem i don't know if i was a congressman from uh let's say florida or a senator person i'm thinking of i would be talking about this because this is my whole anti you know open software Open international cooperation, right? Because when you talk about open source, you're you're really, you know, when you're not talking about like Billy Bob or Mike's open source project, you're talking international cooperation by the community, right? By the regular people, not 
you know, defense to defense or industry to industry. Right. The scale of NVIDIA open going full open source would change, would change the industry forever. It probably wouldn't be good for NVIDIA at this juncture. Because they're winning, right? So, you know, Netscape was the big open source community win. I can't believe we're going to talk about uh, Revolution OS here, but we are. So watch the documentary Revolution OS, and uh, it's definitely a product of its time. But the key takeaway from that that I'd like you to get is that Netscape went open source not from engineer activism at the bottom, but from top down, the top of the company using it as a strategic moat against Microsoft, right? As a way to try to defend themselves from IE. Our younger listeners have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Chris, can we just briefly give them a history of the browser war? Stay a while and listen. There was once a great browser with a big N. Yeah, there, and it had flying stars every time the page would load. No, Netscape offered really the first usable consumer browser. There was things like Mosaic and other browsers that you could browse the web with, but Netscape came along and offered something that was truly a leap forward. And it took Microsoft years to catch up with Internet Explorer. And as Microsoft got closer and started bundling Internet Explorer into Windows, Netscape realized they needed to make some sort of change. They could no longer charge for Netscape, which before had been a paid product. Shareware was a big deal back then. And they would have to pivot to open source. And Netscape wasn't just a browser. It was a whole suite of software back then. And so it was a revolutionary change. And as we now know, Microsoft caught up around Internet Explorer time four. And by five, they were starting to dominate. And by six, they'd completely taken off. During that time, Netscape faded. And from the ashes of Netscape, Firefox rose as like the phoenix that came from the ashes of Netscape. And so Mozilla... And Firefox's legacy ties back to that Netscape browser from the 90s. I mean, that's that's it, right? That's right. But Long gone now, right? And now Firefox isn't in great shape either as time goes on. And like the, comp- the strategy there was we got to do something because this 10,000-pound gorilla is coming for us. It wasn't like a – you're, what you're saying, and I agree with, is it wasn't this grassroots, let's give something back to humanity – Let's make something common code of the people so everyone can rise. It was, oh, we've got to save ourselves from this gorilla. It wasn't a coup. It wasn't like a, uh, it wasn't so much a charity as it was an act of desperation. <laughs> it was It was a strategic choice by a very, very pro-capitalist business exec. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the reason I keep going back into all this ancient history about Saturn and about, you know, Sun Microsystems, got to get them in every, every week. Nicely done. Mm-hmm, thank you. And Netscape is, in a lot of ways, what we're seeing now with the giant tech titans, and I, I don't know how we end here every week, but I feel like we have no choice, is basically the dream of, I'll roughly call it the 90s tech world, right, failed. Right? It, it, it never happened. It became these giant platforms that effectively are walled gardens. It, it's, it's hard if you weren't there, but I... You know, I, I think predicting where we've where we are from where we were is very hard. And I don't think you would be happy, right? If you teleported nineteen ninety six, Chris, into now. Yeah, the new gadgets are cool and you know, iPhones are great and whatever. But the promise of the open internet has effectively, I think, been basically the value's been gated off, right? The value's been corralled. That's bad. 
Yeah, I wonder if it isn't sort of there is layers of ecosystems that are essentially built on TCP/IP, and HTTP is one of them. The app stores, that's one of them. Bitcoin is one of them. Like, there's all these different layers, and they all sort of inevitably have this creep towards centralization, and it just sort of seems to be that centralization offers efficiencies at scale that are so attractive we inevitably end up there well and it also offers the best return on venture capital sure and and control right that's what you mean because then they own it they it's theirs they spent their money and they have control over it now the the interesting thing there is when something like this becomes the reality the norm like it is today then when we go to war the dynamics of how that war is fought now are so different than anything we have ever seen Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. Go there and receive a free Datadog t-shirt and try out Datadog two weeks for free. That's right. Datadog is a software as a service monitoring and security platform. It enables full stack observability for developers, IT operations, security, and business teams in the cloud age. Datadog's platform, along with 500 plus vendor-backed integrations, allows you to correlate your metrics, your traces, your logs, security signals, infrastructure data, your applications, third-party service information, all in a single pane of glass. Are you getting how powerful this is? And they're beautiful, too. The dashboards are beautiful. These capabilities combined with these drag-and-drop beautiful dashboards, I mean, beautiful, and Datadog's machine learning-based alerts, well, that's going to help your team troubleshoot. It's going to help you collaborate more effectively. It's going to prevent downtime. It's going to enhance performance, reliability, and generally improve communications. Check all those boxes. It's a powerful platform. And for Coda Radio listeners, well, we got something for you. You can go to datadog.com slash Coda Radio and support the show. You get a two-week free trial and some free swag. Datadog's going to send you a t-shirt as well. That's pretty nice. I'd say like a solid 38 to maybe even 40% of my wardrobe, quote-unquote wardrobe, is swag. And that has taken a hit these last couple of years. Who couldn't use a free t-shirt? So go to datadog.com slash Coder Radio, support the show, get the two-week free trial, and get a t-shirt. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. So Russia is looking to legalize software piracy. The uh, Business News, which is like their Wall Street Journal or Financial Times over there, is reporting that in the backdrop of sanctions that are gaining momentum, Russian authorities are urgently preparing support measures along which are being discussed the suspension of criminal and administrative liability for the use of pirated software from countries that support sanctions. And the way they're going to do this is they're going to essentially declare, for, for national emergency purposes, a standard nationwide software license. And in this software license, they're going to make this essentially permissible. So they're going to license software piracy by any company that's, you know, participating in these sanctions, which is remarkable because most Western tech companies are at this point. Microsoft probably being the one that's going to affect them, followed by IBM and Oracle the most because they do run Windows in the Russian government. And, you know, it, it, when I think about this, the other thing that they're responding to, Mike, is this gets really tricky in the world of Office 365 subscriptions and software as a service, when all of a sudden you just get turned off, like they have to scramble. Yeah, 
It's Russia, though. They'll find a way around that. And, and by the way, I want to say Privyet, Suki. You little Suki have been stealing every app I've ever made. It's really not that new to him. I'm like, what, this is new? I think they're legalizing something that has been probably practiced a lot. Right. I don't want to, like, besmirch all Russians, but many software developers I've talked to have said that, like, the number one source of piracy for their software is Russia. Is is, is Russia, yeah. Yeah, but still, fascinating for a nation just to say, as a nation, we're going to legalize software piracy. Like, I'm sort of amazed that Putin is running Windows. There's that picture. I know, right? Although it is Windows 7, apparently. <laughs> yeah, they've been trying to drop the habit for a while, but they just haven't. Which uh, says a lot about Microsoft's strategy, right? That it, that it definitely is good to sell people things they can't quit. As a software developer, I believe that people should pay me for my work and my fellow developers. We just this last month, I think in February, we did the lament for all the dead indie Mac developers. I don't think we need to go into that again, but... If the little companies could have grown into middle-sized companies and survived and thrived, you wouldn't have this monopoly problem quite as bad, right? This kind of like a titans against the rest of the world. Yeah, I almost I almost wonder if the fragmentation you see in the Linux community has been a good thing in this regard. There's not one centralized authority that can turn your access off to open source and free software desktops. You know, I fantasize one day, a decade, when El Salvador has had time to continue to grow and improve of maybe going down there and you know spending six months out of the year or three months out of the year living and working out of, out of El Salvador or someplace that's just where life is a little slower mm. and I can spend Bitcoin. <laughs> and I think to myself, well, how would I feel if I was there and one day you know, they, they started getting some of these sanctions like this? It, I try to remove myself from the present day and think, what, where do we take this? Now that this is a thing, where does this stop now? If and when we start having an issue with China, will the West, Western tech companies respond as strongly uh, in shutting China out? I suspect they won't. I think it's going to be uh, an interesting, weird standard that these tech companies are going to have to apply now. Well, I, I, I would even argue it's very strange that these companies are effectively acting as nation states, but that's... Right. They're, they're essentially just applying sanctions of their own. Right. You know, I suppose nobody wants to be seen as earning money from from Russia, right? That's got to be a part of it. Well, but also you're not earning that much money in Russia. That's such a great point is it's like it's easy for them to make this move today because they don't make like Netflix just made a big deal out of it. But Netflix doesn't even have like a million. They don't even quite have a million subscribers in Russia and they're doing it through a third party company as well. It's like. Yeah, it really wasn't a big deal for them to pull out of Russia. And to be clear, I don't think either of us condone any kind of like invasion or any sort of like that. Oh, no, of course not. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is what the centralization, though, that we talk about all the time does enable. Like besides just from control over the market, besides just putting a boot on developers face, besides setting the price for what software should be, they also have this ability now. If Google shuts them off, you know, that's a that's a massive loss for the people and and probably only really, in my personal opinion, strengthens the regime's control. And I, th- I think we should be careful to say that when you have said it, we're not we have nothing against Russians. Right. Like, I don't know what to say on all this stuff. I, I feel like there's a lot of virtue signaling going on. I wish the Internet was being used to humanize each other more and bring us closer together and realize that we have more in common than we have different. But instead, what we're seeing play out here is 
We are splitting the internet up. We're creating different internets. We're creating three internets, effectively, right? The, the, the Eastern European Russian one, and the Chinese one, and roughly the American Anglo. And we're using it to drive a wedge between each other and get even further apart, which is incredible because the technology could be used for exactly the opposite. But the way things have played out, that's just not how we're using it. And I, I, I just have no, no other comment other than this is just what we're seeing play out. It's just these are the times in which we live. And I do think these things swing. You know, the Web3 guys, they get, a, they get a hard time for being pie in the sky. But Oh, from me, right? But what is like their number one mantra is decentralize. They, I can't say that they make sense, but they're starting to seem a little less crazy to me. Yeah, I'm still like, I don't think everything needs a token, but I do like the idea of decentralized services, decentralized identity, decentralized data, that kind of stuff I think I'm getting more and more into. So maybe they're onto something. Maybe eventually it will shape out into something. But You know, it, it's not to tie it into uh, another podcast, but do you listen? I'm, I'm sure you do. The Verge cast, right? The Verges. I have. Not regularly, but I definitely okay, have. I listen regularly. And the, one of their kind of chief writers there, Dieter Bone, just, uh, he actually moved on to Google. So they did like a farewell interview with him. It's interesting because uh, they brought Walt Mossberg back for this conference. You should listen to it. You would actually, because I know you like Walt. Sure. And Walt and him have been having this multi-year argument about the open web, which is Dieter, Dieter's kind of position. And Walt, you know, was a very... He, I wouldn't call him an Apple fanboy, but... But he's basically, apps have killed the open internet position, right? No, Walt is pro-app. Yeah, right. Security, blah, blah, blah. And at the very end, Walt says, I think, you know, with everything going on, you may have had a point. Really? And I'm starting to feel the same way about the hippies that I get irritated with on Telegram and don't log in for three months. You all may have a point that when you have centralized app stores you effectively have a centralized control system and a kill switch, which I'm not sure we want that. I think that we should all make those businesses fail. I think that's why somebody as repugnant as Richard Stallman got so much traction for so long, why he was given so much runway, because he did make some solid core arguments. The problem is the messenger botched it. The messenger was also kind of a dickhead, right? I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. They botched it. The free software movement, it's like it needed Richard Stallman, and then it needed to split away from Richard Stallman a long time ago. You and I both know somebody who also is very much in line with him that lets his personal issues get in the way of what I am now coming to believe is a kind of correct message. It, it it's very anti a lot of what I've been doing, but I I kind of you know it it doesn't it sort of make sense that somebody who is wired to have an extreme personality is also wired to maybe see things that everybody else isn't really seeing. Like you can kind of understand why they were some of these people are ahead of the curve on this. Oh, it makes complete sense. Thinking thinking about the few individuals that I that I think we both have in mind. Yeah, obviously, right? Being kind of a contrarian, not really giving a crap if people don't like you right like if you almost relishing in it in the one case i <laughs> yeah <laughs> not the best business choice but it's it's certainly a thing you could do yeah it's definitely not the best business choice you know i'm sitting here in front of an iMac pro because reasons 
but more and more, I'm just less and less comfortable with proprietary platforms, especially as we go into things like VR. Yeah, I'm really worried about that. The resources, the ecosystem, it feels like the domain of big tech because it is so, it, it lends itself to the App Store model and it lends itself to a content ecosystem where you can pop into a room and watch an episode of Star Trek on demand, right? Like that stuff needs deals. There's no like open ecosystem for that kind of thing as far as I know. So I worry, I worry a lot about VR and my family this whole last weekend in the evening, we sat down and I let each kid spend a little bit of time in VR and explore it. And my youngest, she loves the chill out, like go in the forest, plant trees, pl- feed the animals games. Ooh, what game is that? It's one of the Oculus ones. It's, it might, might even be pre-installed or if it's not, it's, it's just like in one of their meditation areas. It's actually kind of nice. My, my middle child, she likes, uh, she likes the Beat Saber type stuff. And my oldest, he is a big fan of like the socialized metaverse, going and talk to people. He went into the he went into Facebook's metaverse thing, and they actually have it staffed. Facebook or Meta is paying people to staff their virtual, like, you know, amusement park games. So you go in there and there is meta employees that are explaining to you how to play the games and get you on the ride. Like in a real amusement park. That's what they're spending their money on. It's incredible. And I just, when you see that sort of stuff, I don't really see how free software and Linux is, is really going to compete. Or when you look at gaming, like, like Microsoft with their, with their Xbox streaming platform. And I know you noticed this week that they're like doing a whole flight simulator API system. Uh, I don't even know really what it does, but it, to me, it seems like this is an obvious direction where they're going to, they can take their technology, their cloud tech, and make it available as like an API. So there, so it's not a flight simulator system. They're uh, using Azure to make Xbox cloud services available to other people, to other developers. The, the flight simulator is Microsoft Flight Simulator was their test case. So the way they're getting it to work on lower-powered Xboxes is through the cloud, leveraging it off on cloud services. So again, you could see how you could take something like the Oculus Quest that maybe doesn't have enough horsepower if you want some decent battery life, and you could supplement it with something like this. And again, I just don't see that being in the domain of a free software project. I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's tricky for sure. But everyone in my family is a believer now. We're all on board. They they all want one. I'm not getting them one. <laughs> we're only we're only going to have one VR headset in the family. That's one of the ways I'm just going to kind of tap the brakes on this thing. <laughs> yeah, same here. Uh, the I have barely used the Oculus other than the first couple of days and early in the morning because it's uh, it's, uh it's kind of the 14 year old is a uh, scary addicted to it. So. I think there's a whole set of problems that are going to come, not for us personally, but society as a whole from these more immersive experiences. So probably so far it's been positive for us. It really has like they, they, they move around more than when they're playing on their iPads. The socialization has been good. Like that actually, that aspect I was a little concerned about, but that's so far in small doses, it's been interesting and good. It's been fun to watch them be creative because in the, you can cast, the Oculus to your phone or to your computer. And it adds, you know, a little bit of extra load to the Oculus. But so I can see what they're seeing in a 2D version, which is fantastic for walking them through stuff. And it's fun to watch them explore and play in there. But I do think it would be something that I would set rules around on total amount of time and stuff like that. 
it's all going to be interesting. That's I've been really thinking like when you look at the macroeconomic situation going on in the U.S., when you look at the conflicts going on in Ukraine and the long term ramifications between Russia and China and all of what's going to come of this conflict, when you look at how the tech industry is changing when you look at what's brewing in the cryptocurrency community and Bitcoin and you look at what's going on with VR, I can't help but feel like the ride to 2030 is going to be like nothing we've experienced so far. Like these last 40 years of my life were just like nothing compared to what we're about to go through in like the next eight years or so. It's going to be wild. It's going to be a blur. We're going to be struggling to make sense of it every single day. Uh, for for a while, uh, it is the season. I guess you know, you know, and we'll see how we do. So far, our track record's been pretty good on the calls, but we'll see how we do. That's why you know, in a way, it's the meetup feels almost like life returning to normal. We're just gonna get together and hang out and be at a park and eat barbecue and talk about stuff, right? It's like that's weirdly normal all of a sudden, and that's why I'm looking forward to that meetup big time. It's not that. It's like less than a month away. Sounds like a party. Well, then, uh, just last but not least, I'll say thank you to our members, everybody who joined us at CoderQA.co. You are the heroes of this show, and we'd love some more support. You get this show with limited ads to no ads, actually. And uh, you also uh, get the uh, same production quality that Drew always puts into it, which is nice. You just get a slightly more compact version, and you get our Coderly Report, which comes out once a quarter. And we appreciate that. If you want to support this show and all of the shows on the network, well, that's at jupiter.party. I stuck my hands out to celebrate all of the shows, and I knocked over my pen because I was so excited about you supporting all of the shows at jupiter.party. Anywhere you want to send folks? Alice.dev and at Dumanuko, D-O-M-I-C-C-U-O. I hope that that was wrong, but at Dumanuko on Twitter. Tell you what, I'll link it in the show notes. How about that? Don't tell my very dead uncle that I forgot how to spell our real last name. <laughs> Links to what we talked about today. Coder.show slash 456. You can join our Matrix community. We've got some Coder Radio chats over there. Take the blue pill. Matrix is terrible. IRC for life. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. It's a little rough. But it's colony.jupiterbroadcasting.com. That's colony.jupiterbroadcasting.com if you want to join us. We're live on Mondays if you'd like to join us live. And we love your feedback at coder.show slash contact. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode. See you right back here next week. <laughs>